Good morning. Are you good? Everybody happy? Me too. Alright. We're going to start here in Luke chapter 5. And then i got to find my... First Samuel chapter 19. So we're going to hit next. Okay, you ready? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And thank you, God, that you are awesome in this place. We love and honor you, God, and we just pray, Lord, that you would take over right now in our hearts and our minds and our lives, and that you would add grace, God, to every single person to this church, that you would add your grace, God, to us, that we would know you, God, that we would love you, God, that we would humble ourselves before you, God, that we would be true, Lord, to who you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as you continue to transform us into your image and make us more like you. We love and honor you and pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning. We really need you, Lord. Really, really need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. La, 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 la. All right. Luke chapter 5. This? All right. Thank you, Jesus. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two banks by the lake. But the fishermen, oh, sorry, saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your, down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their nets to land, or their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Thank you, Jesus. What a very nice story. Um, okay, there's there's so many things that stand out about this story uh, that um, uh, we're not going to have time to focus on today. But I, I want to just um, uh, point something out to you, and then we're going to uh, probably do a few other stories. Um, Jesus's intention, of course, he knew his intention was to call um, Peter. Um, and James and John to be his disciples, right? Like that, I, I, I think he knew what he was up to. Um, so um, the way that he goes about doing it, though, is really awesome and something that I think we have a lot to learn from. It seems like a very simple story. So um, Jesus um, is preaching, and he's preaching in Gennesaret, and, um, and he needs help uh, it, like in this sense. Um, that there's so many people that are trying to listen to him preach that he doesn't even understand, and the uh, crowds are just crushing him, and they're crushing each other, and so he needs help. And, um, and, and he gets his help 
by, um, by seeing the boats, right? And, and he decides, um, this is really smart, by the way, um, that, that he's just going to get into the boat and get into the water. And, and of course, um, it's not his boat. And so, um, so he asked Simon to come and help him, right? And so he does, and he, so he preaches. And, and, and now Jesus knows that, that, that he's going to ask Simon to come and to follow him, right? So he's making, he's making the, uh, the ask, all right, the call to action. He's making the ask. Okay, all right. Um, why doesn't he start with, like, like um, why doesn't he just come, come out and say, Peter, come and follow me? Do you notice that that's not what he does? Or do you, like, do you notice that's not what he does? Because um, that's just not what he does. So, so instead, um, he doesn't, there's, there's no inkling that he's, he's about to come and ask Peter to lay down his life and go do something completely different. He says, um, why don't you catch some fish, essentially? Why don't you like, put down your net and catch some fish? Now, and um, because of um, the circumstances that Peter's in, which they don't discuss their, their, their circumstances, right? Peter's not coming and complaining to Jesus about what a terrible night they had, now they didn't catch any fish, and how their business is now about to be ruined, blah, blah, blah. Like, he doesn't, there's, there's, no, there's none of that. And yet, of course, Jesus knows that. And so, so, so Jesus just says, you know, why don't you put down your net and, and, and see if you catch some fish? And, and, then, and then Peter says, well, you know, we haven't, you know, we've been out there fishing all night, didn't catch anything. And he says, okay, fine, you know, um, you seem like a great preacher. And, you know, if, if, if you want me to try, then I'll try. And so he does. And, uh, and, and then the miracle happens. And, um, and, and, and obviously Jesus does the miracle in such a way that James and John also need to witness the miracle. They come in and they help. And, and, and in that place, in experiencing the miracle, Peter has this conviction, right? That a conviction that he didn't necessarily have before, that this was a man of God. Because there's a lot of people that can say things that sound rather appealing, um, but Jesus has done something other than saying. He's demonstrated that there's something special about him, that there's a power um, about him, that, that there is something authentic about who he is before God. And, and, and Peter comes to the realization on his own, not prompted. Jesus doesn't say, okay, now bow down and worship me, because you see, I'm holy. He doesn't say that. Um, he allows Peter to come to the realization on his own. And after Peter's come to the realization on his own, now Peter's in a position where he's really willing to do anything. Peter's a little brash. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's ready to sign on the dotted line, as we all should be. Um, and, and so he's ready to sign the dotted line now. And now Jesus says, okay, and now here's where you sign. <laughs> you know, like now I'm going to ask you to leave your business and your upbringing and everything you've ever known. And you're going to come and you're going to follow me and do this instead, right? But the amazing thing is he doesn't make the ask up front. The ask comes after he's demonstrated who he is. And the reality of what it is that Peter would be walking into. He shows him what he's going to get before he asks him to give something up. Um, when you um, uh, probably were like in fourth or fifth grade, actually, no, that, that would have been too early. Maybe when you're seventh or eighth grade and you've already learned how to write an essay, um, there's one of the, the primary principles of, of, uh, of, of composition that you were probably taught in school, which is show, don't tell. And it's, it's this principle that separates good writers from bad writers. A bad writer will tell you what they want you to know. A good writer will bring you into the experience by, by just using their words, actually. Um, but they'll bring you into the experience of like um, a, a narrative or the story that they're trying to tell, right? And so, um, and, and, and that's actually like very difficult thing to do. And, and it really does separate good writers from bad writers. But as Christians, it, it's, it's like the operative principle in life, which we don't, um, I don't, I think we don't embrace it very much. We love to tell people well, we want them to know what we want them to think, what we expect them to believe. 
But that's not God's way. God shows them before sometimes, very often before he tells them. And this is the way that, um, that, that, that the great men of God of old would, would preach the gospel. It's the way that God actually, actually set up um, uh, the, the world so that we could bear witness. It, it's not actually so much about telling people what you want them to believe as much as it is about showing people who God is and, and then from that place people will be naturally curious um, what they are supposed to believe. In Deuteronomy, God lays out the laws. Well, he lays out the laws in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. But in Deuteronomy, um, Moses comes back and he, and he summarizes the laws. And, um, and there's, there's a portion of it that's like really incredible. It's about the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience, which is not at all what we're going to talk about today. But it's very interesting to me because God essentially told the people of Israel what would happen if they were to obey. And what would happen if they were to obey was not that they would go to heaven, even though that, that, that is the ultimate goal. But what would happen if they were to obey is that their land would be blessed and their crops would be blessed and their cows would be blessed and their carrots would be blessed and their watermelons would be blessed and, 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 and everything, everything around them would be blessed and they would prosper. And, uh, and, and they would have rain on their lands and they would never have a, a, a drought and they would have peace on all sides and nobody would go to war with them and their families would thrive and like, like th- that would happen, right? And, and, and then he tells them what would happen if they didn't obey, um, which is all the curses of disobedience, which is that they would get sick and their crops would never fruit and they would have famines all the time and they would have droughts and they have wars and they'd be destroyed and everything else. And, um, and uh, did you know, by the way, there's two mentions of cancer in the Bible. One is in First Samuel uh, chapter five or so when the when the Philistines get cancer get tumors on them when God the Ark of God is brought into their cities, and the only other time is in Deuteronomy where God says that you are going to get tumors if you disobey. It's one of the curses of disobedience. Um, it, we don't like to think that way anymore because we think that you know bad things happen to good people, but that, that's not the way that God has actually set it up. He set up the world in such a way that obedience and righteousness is manifest in, in, a, in a certain way, and, and then disobedience and unrighteousness is manifest in a certain way. Your, your crops won't grow, and you won't make any money, and everybody will be poor, and everybody will be at war, and there'll always be strife, you'll never be at peace, and always be tension. And, and he set up this, this dichotomy between, between light and darkness, and the reason that he set it up in this way is because God is not interested in, um, uh, I, I don't think that, that he wants us to treat him like an argument to win with people. I, I don't think he wants to be treated like, like something that is empty, that is just a philosophy and a set of ideas that you're supposed to embrace. There is a deep philosophical side to God, no doubt. But, but I think the way that God is interested in people meeting him is that he wants people to see. He wants people to be shown what he is like and what is the fruit and the outcome of a life that has lived right before him so that people can see it before they're asked to believe it. Do you know? Um, in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter is talking about um, uh, the experience of preaching the gospel. And, 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 and he's talking about his own experience. And, he's, and, and he, says, he says, we were eyewitnesses to his glory. That's a, that's, it's, it's one of those phrases that like most people, you read it, you just sort of bypass it. But it's a very compelling statement that he's making. What he's saying is that, you, you see, when Jesus was on the earth, he never said to them, said, y'all, I'm God, worship me. It, it, he showed them who they were long before 
it, it, it was obvious and made known to them who, who he was. Like he, he never went out there to brag about himself or talk about how awesome he was or how great he was or anything like that. But on the mountain, Peter and James and John saw that he was the son of God. Like they saw that, that you, you understand, right? Like Jesus didn't say, and behold, I am the son of God. Like they, he showed them, he allowed them to, pe- and he wasn't a show off, but he, he allowed them to just peek behind the curtain and see who he was in glory. Do you know? They had so many reasons already to believe, but, but then he allowed them to see his glory. And, and so when Peter is saying in 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, he's saying, we're not telling you about something that we heard. We're telling you what we saw, what he allowed us to see about him. He showed them. It wasn't just what he told them. It was what he showed them. Um, we are not particularly good at showing people things. When I say we don't mean you, or you're much, you're, you know, but, um, but you know. <laughs> it, 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 we're not very good at showing people God. And it's, so it, we cheapen it by telling people about God. It, it, it's actually true of just about every facet in our life. Do you know? And what happens, because you've probably experienced this before, is when someone tells you about something and then the experience of that thing doesn't quite live up to what it is that they told you, you feel awesome. You're like, well, it wasn't that good, but it was still pretty good. Is it like, are you just like, yeah, are you like, or does the fact that it failed to meet expectations, like, is that like much more significant to you than the fact that it was still pretty good, even though it failed to meet expectations? Do you, like, do you know what I mean? Like when somebody tells you that they found the best tacos in the city and the, it, the tacos are fine. They just weren't the best tacos that you've ever had. The, the fact that it's fine is not something that's very conscious to you. What's conscious to you is that they weren't the best. Like you were, like you were oversold, right? It's like, um, it, it, it's just like it's 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 one of the downfalls of like all advertising. For instance, like if you buy dishwasher detergent because on TV they showed you, you know, when they advertise detergent, they always show that the plate's actually like shining. Like after you wash them, do you know? There's, they're like always like sparkling, like they're absolutely sparkling. And when you get the detergent, it's not that it doesn't work; it's that your your dishes don't sparkle. Like it does work. It just it just you know it didn't it just didn't quite sparkle. And the the disappointment with that actually is much more real to us um, than how good the product than how good the product is. And um, and that's like that's like a. a a fairly significant reason, I think, um, why there's a disconnect very often in, uh, in the church between um, in our relationships and the way that we communicate with others and our outreach and so many different things is because it's so much easier to tell people. And so we prefer to tell people rather than to show people. In Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 16. It could be 20, something, something. Nope, I think it's Proverbs. Anyways, um, it says, um, many a man declares his own loyalty but a trustworthy man who can find, or a faithful man who can find. There are, it's, much easy to, it's much easier to say that you are faithful than to be faithful. Do you know? And it's, it, obviously the proverb is from the perspective of a, of a leader or of a king. There are many people, when you are a king and you have something to offer them, they say, you know, I'm loyal to you, I'm your best servant. Like, but, but he says, but, uh, but truly a faithful servant, who can find? Like, it's much easier and it's much um, more common for people to talk about how great they are, what kind of person they're like, than to show you and to actually live up to the things that they've said. But God is not like that. God is a God that shows. And in fact, he shows before he tells. Outreach done that way is much more effective 
than outreach where you tell people what you expect them to believe. That's why he, he says, go, and, and he doesn't just say, go and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? I mean, you do do that. You do need to tell people what you want them to believe, but there's lots of other things that you're supposed to do to what? To show them that the kingdom of heaven is indeed at hand. You heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cleanse lepers. Like, it, it's, it's those things that make what it is you're telling them appealing. But what if you only tell and you don't show, which is pretty much all modern American evangelism tactics? Different ways of telling. You know, you're not a very good um, uh, uh, preacher, so practice your elevator pitch, you know, or, uh, you know, you don't write as well as C.S. Lewis, so make them read mere Christianity. It, it, there's nothing wrong with mere Christianity. Mere Christianity is, is, is a stroke of genius. But, but the fact that C.S. Lewis is a better communicator than you, and he's a deeper thinker than you, doesn't fix the fact that you've just told them you haven't shown them. And it's, people are much less prone to believe things that they're told. Do you know? They want to be shown. We get so used to this. In, um, we do this uh, because we are used to operating this way in other areas of our life. And uh, it, 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 we, we, uh, you have to change everything about the way that you like to relate to people. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation where you've had to, uh, uh, most of you are probably too young, but um, have you ever tried to hire someone? Like, like there's an opening at your company and you are like one of the people in charge of interviewing um, candidates to like to fill the job. If you if you haven't, that's that's okay. Um, but but uh, there are a lot of people that are very um, uh, appealing in an interview. Like it's very easy to to sound like you know what you're doing in an interview. It's uh, if you don't know how to interview. Um, Th that's like failure level one. Like that, that's just, you're never going to find a job. I'm sorry. Like it just, you have to learn how to interview. But there's a lot of people that w when you interview them, they sound exactly like they know what they're doing, but then you ask them, um, but they, you hire them and, and, and you realize they can't do 80% of the job that they were hired to do. Like they have no idea how to do it or they're, they have work ethic problems or they don't show up to work on time or they're not very polite. Like there's, there's, there's all these sort of things that, um, that make it very difficult. So, um, uh, so, 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 so we've tried to do something very interesting, right? Which is not that interesting at all. It should be like very basic, which is um, instead of our first interview be talking to you, um, the first thing we have you do is an exercise, um, a very basic exercise that proves that you actually know what, what it is that just like very basic. So in finance, we, like if we're interviewing for like an investment analyst kind of position, right? We want you to build a, um, if you're in finance, you would know that this is very basic, a discounted cash flow model, right? And, uh, and just tell us like some very basic things. And let's say you assume some debt instead of just paying with equity. And what does that do to your returns? Like very basic business school, you know, sort of first class in corporate finance or financial accounting, you you know, third week, you're going to have tackled this. This should be like, you know, just so basic, 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 basic. It's, it's just like, it's just like if somebody told you they were a pastry chef and you said, okay, make me a ball of dough. Like, it's kind of like that basic, you know, it's not like, it's not like, can you bake, you know, 30 different types of Turkish pastries for me to try? It's no, it's just like, make some dough. Like, it's kind of that basic, right? So, and then you do this and you, and you find out, or I found out, shockingly, that you could get like 10 candidates who seem very, very qualified on paper. They'll tell you I have 10 years of experience. They'll tell you, you know, I had this big title at this big company. And you ask them to do something very basic and you give them three days to do it and they come back and the answer is wrong. And that's like 90% of people. 
And so the first time I set up this exercise, we gave it to a bunch of candidates and like, I don't know, of 20 people that we, I, don't know, I probably like 15 or 17 of them couldn't do it. And these are like highly qualified, highly paid people working at real companies, like big companies with like important titles, like vice president, like near vice president. You better know what you're doing. No, vice president. Like, what are you vice president of? Like the snack drawer? Like, I don't understand. And, and so anyway, so there were so many people that failed. My partner um, like, uh, came to me one day and I was like, your test is too hard. And um, I, 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 I said, okay, um, uh, why? Do you, why? And he said, um, "How can it be that you know, 80 to 85 percent of our candidates can't, you know, can't do this? Your exercise is just too hard. You're like trying to trip people up." I'm like, "I'm trying to trip people up. Like, look at this. <laughs> this is this is first semester, like you know, accounting. This is not too hard." Um, and and he said, "Well, you know, the, how you explain that? You know, most of these candidates can't can't do this." Basically, I was like, "Well, may, maybe we shouldn't hire them. Like, maybe that's the way to explain it." It's it's a it's a endemic problem. As f as soon as you're part of a large organization, it's very easy to hide your incompetence behind other people's competence. It's very easy. As soon as you get in a situation where most of the work is done in pairs or triplets or quads, like and you don't know very much what you're doing, uh, and, but you're a decent communicator and you're decently charismatic, you can very much hide incompetence behind competence. Like it's it's very easy. That's why I'm always. Uh, scared to hire people from from big companies <laughs> because uh, because it's just it's very difficult to tell. And you're like, oh, I've worked for ten years at Morgan Stanley. I'm like, Look, that, that's really great, and they have great references, and everybody loves them. But then you bring them in, they can't do the job. Like it's it's very bad. And uh, listen, I mean, that's that's part of the world. But I'm I'm t here's here's the part that's really important. It's it's so a part of the world that for a lot of us, this is the way of life. This is the way of life. Do you know? Um, we love the excitement that comes from hype. Christians do. We love the excitement that comes from hype, and therefore we do a lot of, 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 of hyping by talking about things. And, and very often, there's almost no Christian that has not experienced the disappointment of, of being drawn into something that was hyped up that did not at all live up to all the hype that was attached to it. Like, I, probably everybody has experienced that. You know, this is going to be the greatest event ever. I'm totally going to change your life. Blah, 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 blah. They raised $3 million behind it. And then it turns out to be like, eh, it was fine. But it wasn't like, you know, like, I mean, was it worth a million dollars for the stadium and $500,000 for the sound system? Like, I mean, was it worth that? Like, it, no, prop not. But, but the, the entire business is built on hype. And it starts with, things that are as basic as try this cupcake, it'll change your life. And it's a, it's a way of, of, of speaking and interacting with the world that fundamentally needs to change. You know? Your birthday is coming up and I'm like, I got you, I, I, I've been thinking so long about what to get you, I got the best thing ever, you're gonna be so excited, it's gonna be so awesome. Like, why do you say, why do we say things like that? Like, even if it is the best thing ever, why don't you just give it to them, let them unwrap it, and decide from the, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Like, what, what, like what is, because it's because it's easier to draw the excitement. We allow ourselves, actually, to, to get excited over, like, things that we just heard. And, and, and therefore, and other people realize that, you know, and they realize that they can harvest the, the gratitude and, and they can harvest the excitement in advance without actually having done anything. Rather than, you know, like, and so it, it's just, it's, it's, it's not great. There's, um, when I was, when I was uh, growing up, there's a, a Christian radio station in the city that, um, a very large Christian radio station. They were really a, just a great station, really, 
really awesome station. Um, and every year they had a fundraising drive in order to fund their, uh, their work because they're a nonprofit and I don't know how much, like three or four million dollars I think was their operating budget. And they, so they fundraised for it every year and they would have these days um, where, uh, where they would just you know, have this campaign. Everybody would come on, Christian artists and, and their DJs and, and they would come on and talk about what a great station was. And, and for three or four days it was just straight. And they're just fundraising at every hour. It's just, you know, we need 100 people to call in and, and commit $100 and, and stuff. And the once in a while I'd be like, you know, and we just had guys, the most exciting thing happened. We had a commitment of $5,000. And um, I remember I, uh, I, this, it was so exciting to me back then because I loved this radio station. I really wanted them to be able to continue to broadcast the next year. I would listen to this. I mean, I enjoyed listening to the station, but I enjoyed listening to their fundraiser the most. And so every year, fundraiser time, because it was so exciting, you know, and, and in the background, you can actually hear the phones ring, and they'd be like, oh, another caller, <laughs> you know, and they'd have some of their callers on, they would bring statistics, and this team leader would talk about how much they raised from this part of the city, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting, at the end of it, they'd be like, guys, we cracked a half million dollars, they keep up. and it'd just be so exciting, and the thing is that nobody had, had actually given anything, people called in to commit for how much they were going to give, nobody was giving money. It was a, it, you were just calling to commit, to say, I will write you a check for $10,000 sometime this year. And then after you make the commitment, then they will harass you every day for the next you know, 180 days to actually pay in what it is you committed. But nobody was giving money. It was just commitments. And so then eventually I said, well, why do they do it this way? Because obviously it's easier to say I will give you $1,000 than to actually hand over your credit card. And because it's easier to say... Uh, to, I'm going to give you $1,000 and hand over your credit card, it's easier to get people to make commitments than to actually get them to do the thing that they committed to do. And the best way actually to draw money out of anybody, but especially Christians, is to make them talk about what they're going to do and then make them feel bad for not doing it until they actually do it. Does that make any sense? This is the way that a lot of things operate. And it's not a, a, a judgment against them. I love this station. They're still going strong, praise the Lord. It's not Caleb. They're, they're, they're still going, there's nothing wrong with Caleb, but like, you know, they're still going strong, you know, praise the Lord. But it's, it's a way of operating and it seems entirely natural and yet it totally cheapens the way that God wants people to experience and to understand him. He is a God that shows, he doesn't tell, really. Not until after you've seen until after you understand this is real, not because of what somebody said to you, but because of what you've experienced in your life. It's for that reason that I don't really like talking as a, as a method for evangelism, these uh, roundtables and debates and, and panels and things like that. Like, I don't really like that as a form of outreach, not because it shouldn't ever be done, uh, but because it, it has a lot to do with just telling you about like, what God is like. And sometimes like, people have already you know, come in part of the way and they have some questions they need to be answered and you should talk to them. No problem with that. The problem is only when we think the entire pitch is based off of what we can say to people rather than what we can show them. And because saying is so much easier, we work on what we say rather than what we can show. Do you know? That is very difficult. 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19 is one of those stories that I just like, ah, love it. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, uh, we have an example where God decides that he's going to show, not going to just declare it through a prophet, but he's going to demonstrate what he stands for, what he believes. What God, whose side God is on is actually very important. If God is ever on a human side, he's you know, often not. But sometimes humans get into disputes, do you know? 
And God sometimes actually is on one person's side. And, uh, and God could just say it through a prophet, or the prophet could say, oh, the word of the Lord. But, but sometimes God shows, and I love that. First seven times, I'm going to read the entire chapter here. It's a little bit long, but um, you'll forgive me because um, it's a great story. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his, death, um, because his deeds have brought good to you. And he took his life, for he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David? without cause. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat upon his house with his spear in his hand. David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. But he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear in the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. Then Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul's messengers uh, sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michal answered him, He said to me, Let me go, why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. And then he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing his head over them. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent out the messengers, and they also prophesied. And, Samuel, and Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Siku. And he said, Where are Samuel and David? And he said, Behold, they are Naoth in Ramah. And he went there uh, to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied, and he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he prophesied before Samuel and naked all day and all night. Thus it was said, is Saul also among the prophets? This is a very, very, very important story. Okay. Saul has, uh, hates David and wants to kill David. And although I think the way that the story is written makes clear that, that God is on David's side, especially if you read um, the five chapters or so before this, um, it makes clear that, that David is the anointed of the Lord and that Saul is wrong um, here. Uh, sometimes um, it's still not obvious whose side God is on, right? And so, um, so David flees from Saul, uh, and he goes to Naoth to live with Samuel, and and then send Paul, uh, Saul, sorry, sends messengers um, to bring uh, David back to him, so that, that so that he can kill him. Um, th- these messengers are, are it's not your local post office worker. Like it's an, it's not the UPS guy with the package. Like th- this is a a group of soldiers, you know, whose whose job it is to go and to kill. Okay, here's. Now, here's the interesting thing that happens, right? Typically, um, what we've been trained 
to believe. Uh, is that a prophet's job is to know the word of the Lord and to uh, say it. Um, and, and Samuel is that. He, he is the iconic prophet, really, of, of the Bible. Um, he, he is very much that. And so Samuel obviously knows the word of the Lord. Samuel is the one that God spoke to about anointing David, about anointing Saul, the whole thing, right? Samuel is a, is a prophet of the land. Right. And so the messengers get to, to Samuel, and Samuel is there, and he's prophesying along with the other prophets. And this gives you some sense of the way that prophecy evidently used to work. It doesn't work this way anymore, but it used to work. All right. So Samuel and the other prophets are there prophesying, and Saul's soldiers get there. And now you would, you would think, uh, based on our understanding of the way that God works, that God would speak to Samuel, and Samuel would declare the word of the Lord and say, you know, this is the anointed of the Lord, get away from him. And yet that's obviously not what happens. What happens instead is that the soldiers walk into the city where they're going to capture David. Samuel doesn't say squat, but the soldiers see him. And as they walk into that place, the spirit of the Lord comes upon them and they also begin to prophesy, which does not mean that they begin talking as much as it means that they begin to manifest with the presence of the Lord. And as you see naked uh, later, <laughs> naked, as you see later, he strips naked and he's like flapping around on the floor, you know, like prophesying. Now, it's very hard to kidnap someone when you're naked and rolling around the floor, as, as, as it turns out. And so that's what happens to the soldiers, right? And then say, so they do this and they're filled with the spirit of the Lord. Are they good guys? They're not good guys. And so they're sitting there and they're filled with the spirit of the Lord. And this is very interesting. Um, they're prophesying. They are, y'all. They are prophesying, okay? And they're filled with the Spirit of the Lord and they're flapping around the ground naked. Like they've taken off their own clothes. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It is weird. It's what it is. All right. It's weird for us because we don't experience God anymore. We like to tell people about things rather than to experience them. And so that group of soldiers goes back to Saul and was like, couldn't do it. We tried. We got close. God was there. You know, couldn't do it. And, and, and so Saul sends another group of soldiers. They get their same thing happens to them. The spirit of God comes upon them. They fill with the Holy Spirit and they can't, they, can't, they can't do it. So then they go back and then Saul sends another group of guys and they can't do it. And then so Saul himself goes and he's like, y'all are stupid. Like, you know, like what, what is this nonsense? And so he goes and he's like, where are they? You know, and, and he comes for Samuel and the same thing happens to him. Now this is, this is just utterly intriguing to me. And the reason is because in the very same chapter, the Lord was tormenting Saul with, with, with demonic spirits, with harmful spirits. Like, Saul's not a good guy. He's not like the minister of the gospel. He's not the man of God. This isn't exactly Billy Graham we're talking about, do you know? If Billy Graham filled the Holy Spirit, you'd be like, oh, of course he was. Like, like this, is, this, is the bat, this is the antagonist of the story, okay? And God does not rebuke him. He doesn't curse him. He doesn't, the spirit of the Lord falls upon him and Saul strips naked, lies down on the ground in front of Samuel, who's there to, you know, kidnap or, or you know, whatever, to get, to get David out. out. And, and so he's, and he's there all day and all night and he can't get up because the spirit of God is working on his life. It's so much so that afterwards, people thought that Saul, who's the demented guy, people thought that Saul was a prophet. It's incredible. If God is willing to do this to Saul, who's now the enemy of the Lord's anointed and the one trying to kill him, how much more everybody else you've ever met? There are so many things Samuel could have said, should have said, would have said if he were one of us to stop Saul. Samuel doesn't say a thing. He's minding his own business and he allows God to do what only God can do 
and to show. See, God now is showing definitively, not saying, I am with Samuel. God doesn't say that. He shows definitively that he is with Samuel by what he does. And when he does, by the way, in this instance, is not kill Saul, but it's to fill him with the spirit in Samuel's presence. You walk near Samuel, you get filled with the spirit. That's a good way to do outreach. That's, that's the way to do outreach, y'all. It's like everybody that sits within 10 feet of Catherine codes three times as fast as they normally do. It sounds like the sort of, it, it, no, honestly, it's, it sounds really silly because we don't expect God to do things like this. Do you know? Everybody that owns a house within 500 feet of your, it, it, it's honestly, it's, it would just be hilarious if like, if like within 100 feet of your property, crops grow five times as fast as they normally do. <laughs> do you know? The landowners actually be like, what kind of Monsanto um, fertilizer are you guys using? It's like, it's, there's no fertilizer. It's the spirit of God. I mean, it, it's, that's the sort of thing that we're not very accustomed to because we're so used to telling people rather than showing them. And when we tell people it doesn't work, that we're just like, well, this doesn't work. And we don't realize we're doing it completely wrong. Do you know? Talk less, show more. That, like, it, it's, it, it's the nature of God. If you can't show people who God is, don't expect them to believe what you've said. In, in fact, I'm going to go a little bit further and say be very reluctant to talk about things that you can't demonstrate. Because that's where people begin to suspect hypocrisy. That's where people begin to suspect that you're trying to fool them. That's where people begin to suspect that. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, don't tell people, you know, I make the best cupcakes on the block. Just bring one. And in the same way, don't make promises about God or expressions about who he is or what he's like if you can't live up to it. There are times where it's like, you know, this is something that God needs to do, but there are plenty of other times where God has given us the responsibility for demonstrating him to others, you know? And so we say, well, God is kind, but we're not kind. And we say God is patient, but we're not patient. We say God is generous, but we're not generous. And we say that God believes in people, but we fire them the first time they do something wrong. Like it, it just, it's, it, it, there's a disconnect that, that is very obvious to anyone with any, you know, ability to assess reality. I mean, for us as Christians, we are so used to a gap between what people say and what people do. It seems normal to us and it's not normal to anyone else. It's, it's just not, it's weird is what it is. It's not normal. It's part of our church culture where we think the word of God is just above all. It's like if God has given his word, what else do we need? What else we need is everything else. Do you know? It's very common in the Bible, by the way, for when a prophet prophesies for them to give a sign that what it is that they said God will do will actually happen. Now, if God offers a sign for his word, which cannot be violated, hello, how much more important is it for, for you? And, like, how much more important is it you know, for you and I? Do you remember when Isaiah prophesies, I think, to Hezekiah? And then, and, then, um, uh, and then Hezekiah says, how will I know this is true? And Isaiah says, do you want the sun to go forward 10 steps or back 10 steps? <laughs> you know, to prove that like, this is truly the word of the Lord. That God, let's back up. The prophet of the Lord is speaking on God's behalf. This is the word of God. This is not like the word of Bob. This is the word of God. And the king says, how will they know 
that this is truly the word of God. And the prophet says, you want the sun to go forward? You want the sun to go back? He says, well, it's easy for the sun to go forward. It's not. He didn't really know science that well, I guess. It's not that easy to move the sun forward, but okay, sure, okay, fine. And this is why you move the sun back. God moves the sun back to show that this is truly his word. It is very common, very, very, very common for God to say something and then attach a sign to it so that people have reason to believe that what he said will actually come to pass. Hello? It's the same for you and I. Don't say, I'm going to give you $1,000 next month. Give them 100 now. You don't have the 1000 Give them 100 now. It, do you know? Don't say, I'm going to bring you a dozen cookies next week. Just bring it. Or if you feel like you need to say it now, give them three cookies now so that they have faith that you're going to bring a dozen next week. I mean, who cares about cookies? I, actually, I, I care about cookies. So, like, but does, does this make any sense to you? Do not allow yourself to be satisfied with talking about things and, and not... Like, not feeling the urge to actually do the thing that you talked about doing. Like, just don't let yourself live that way. Like, do not, li- don't let yourself live that way. Do you know? Don't say to someone, well, why don't we just, why don't we get dinner at some point? Find a date now. Like, you know, don't be like, let's get together at some point. Yeah, that sounds good. Like, find a date. I actually, there are some people I know that are just like that. They, they don't allow this. Like, so they'll, they won't say like, oh, I'll get together sometime. They'll be like, and does next Thursday work? And standing there, they'll be like, okay, I'm going to make a reservation. you like, I mean, and, and so, no, it's just you have more, you have greater assurance that what somebody has promised you will actually come to pass. You know? And we just get, get used to like, get used to doing, like, just get used to doing it this way. Get used to doing it this way. Like, it's, 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 it's not that difficult. We, um, as you probably know, are looking for an office space now uh, for, uh, for the ministry for the church. And it's not like, oh, you know, maybe I'll make you an offer, maybe I won't. It's, you know, here's the offer, and here are the documents, and here are the financials, and here's, like, here's everything. Here's everything you need to assess. And the reason you do that is because it shows people that you are serious. There are lots of people, if you're trying to sell a car or a house or anything like that, though, or, or, you know, try to sell a chair on, on, on Facebook. I mean, there's so many scammers and so many floppers, and some of them are not bots. Some of them are just you know, people that don't mean what they say when they say, oh, you know, I'll show up and get your chair next Thursday. Like, I mean, 90% of the time they don't show up, right? I mean, th- that's, that's why it's hard to sell things on Facebook. But, but, but there are other people, you know, that will just like book a date immediately. Like it's, if you need to do something in order to show people that you mean business. And it, hello, if God does it, how much more are you and I? How much more are you and I? So Jesus said, that there is no one who will lose father or mother or brother and sister who will not receive a hundred times in this life and in the age to come eternal life. And I, I've wondered about that verse for a while because I, um, I actually, what had happened, I'll tell you what had happened. What happened was that when I was young, I memorized the verse incorrectly. I had memorized the verse as, you know, there's no one who will lose father, mother, brother, and sister, blah, 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 and in the age to come will get eternal life. Like, I thought, in other words, that, that when you give up things in this life, that what will happen is that in the next life, you'll get eternal life, like, in exchange for all the things that you've lost here. Um, is that true? It is true. Do I like it? I like it. It's good. But that's not actually what Jesus said. Jesus said, who will not receive a hundred times in this life an eternal life in the age to come. Why is it that you get 100 times in this life? It's not because you need it. It's not because you have to have it. It's not because you'd be lonely without it, although in some cases that's true. But like, it's not because you need it. It's not because, it's because God 
God, who is perfectly faithful in making you a promise about the age to come that you cannot possibly assess, you cannot possibly know because you've never been to the age to come, only God has, says, here's a down payment so that you know that I'm serious about eternal life in the age to come. And so when you live faithfully before God, all of a sudden you become blessed, all of a sudden you find true friends, all of a sudden you find real community, you find, there's genuine peace in your heart, genuine joy that's overflowing all the time. It's not because God needs to give those things to you. They are a sign of the greater promises that are to come. It makes it real to you. If God can take away all of my doubt, all of my stress, all of my anxiety, all of my tension, if he can fix my marriage, if he can fix my relationship with my kids, if he can fix my finances and fix my health and everything else now, of course God can make me, you know, alive with him eternally. Like, of course he can, right? And it's like, we should believe him anyway, but the fact that God is willing to give down payments now so that we can have confidence, I mean, how much more are you and I, how much more are we supposed to act that way? How much more do we behave likewise? Right? Okay. I, I, think, I think if we were to back up a little bit, I, I, there's, there's some things that we need to like, just make sure that we are all on the same page about. Number one, nobody cares what we have to say. What they care about is what is real, and what is real is demonstrated not by what we say, but what, what, what we demonstrate. How many times has a Christian made a promise to you that was broken? Like, it, it's like, it's not, you, you can't even count it, right? Like, it's just, like, not even worth bothering. When somebody says anything, I'm like, oh. Like, I don't even bother trying to cash that check. That's just, that's just not going to be real. When someone says, oh, I'm not going to do that, like, a sin. Or they say, I am going to do that, like, a good deed. I mean, unless it's someone that I know to be faithful, like Carolyn or Lily or Joanne. Or, I mean, it's just, you know, one of you guys that I actually know. I, 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 honestly, if it's a pastor, I don't even bother, like, May happen, may not. I'm not going to hold my breath, that's for sure. Like, do you know? It's just because we, we don't, it's the culture that we live in. Don't be like that. And do not present God that way to anyone else. Don't present God that way to anyone else. Don't be that person in life because people don't value that person. Don't be the person that's like, well, I'm going to create the best code ever. Just do it and then show them. The less you talk, the more powerful your words are. And the more you show, the, the more confidence people have in you. If you don't want to do something, don't say it. And don't do it. You don't have to do it. Just don't talk about it. Otherwise, the, the, the best thing to do is not say it at all and just show it. The second best thing to do is to say it and then provide a down payment to do it. Don't ever say something and then not provide any down payment at all. Years ago for, for Christmas, my, my sister had ordered um, something for me, but it, uh, it didn't arrive on time, um, as happens from time to time. By the way, that's very disappointing when, you know, it's Christmas and somebody says, you know, I'm going to get you something, but it's not here yet. Um, uh, order far enough in advance that it does get here. But what she did, which is the next best thing, was that she printed out a picture of it and stuck it in a card for me, and I, I think we were in, I don't remember, Mexico or somewhere. So she printed out a picture of it and stuck in a card and said, Merry Christmas, and here's your card. And I thought it was cash. Like, you know, I mean, when you get a card for Christmas, usually it's, you know, but it wasn't thick enough, so I was like, it must be a check. Praise the Lord. <laughs> can only imagine how great this is going to be. And instead, it's a picture of, I can't remember what it was, maybe like a sparkling water machine or, you know, like a thing of soap or something like that. It was a picture. I was like, oh, a picture for Christmas. How wonderful. And she said, no, no, that, I'm sending that to you. It just, you know, it, it hasn't arrived yet. There's some, you know, backlog or whatever. She said, I'm sending that to you and you're going to get that. Now, that's much better than just saying, don't worry, I'll send you something. 
right? That's much better than, than don't worry, I'll, I'll send you something. The gift is in the mail. But the, the best thing is if you actually brought it. That would be the best thing. The next best thing would be to give them actual assurance because it cost you something. In this case, it didn't cost her anything other than the printer paper and the ink. But you know, it, it's, it's to do something that costs you something to demonstrate that what you're talking about is real. And the worst thing imaginable, which unfortunately is the norm in Christian culture, is just to say it without anything backing you up. Don't do that. Be like Jesus. Jesus did not just say to Peter, don't worry, Peter, ditch everything you have, I'm gonna make you fishers and men. He doesn't do that. First, he shows Peter, Peter, I own all the fish of all the ocean. I can make him jump into your net anytime. And, and he doesn't actually even make the promise. He just shows Peter that it's true without saying it. And Peter then, being a smart la lad, realizes that actually this guy has the ability to fulfill his promises. And then he says, okay, what, what, do, you, what do you want of me? Because then it just comes naturally. Do you know? We don't need to make promises to people about what it's like to be a Christian, everything else. Demonstrate it in your life. Challenge yourself to strive to be the person that is so kind, so loving, so understanding, so conscientious, so thoughtful, so considerate, so patient, so excellent. So, like, and every single one of these words is a very expensive thing for you to actually do, right? Okay, challenge yourself to be the person that, that is so all of those things and so much more that it's very real, very clear to people that your life is different. And, and you know, the best thing would be if somebody comes and, and does what Peter did, which is say, you are a holy person. You know, what do you, not bow, that, that wouldn't be good, we don't want that, but you know, you're a holy person, what do you believe? And like, if you can, if you get to the point where that becomes normal to you, or the people around you, the people that you've met, will say, there is something different about you, and I don't know what it is, but I'd like to know. That's how you know that you're not, tell, you're, you're showing, you're not telling anymore. Do you know? And that's what God does. And that's what, that's what we want to be. So I, I want to encourage you to do the same thing with, like, with, with, with ministry stuff. I, 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 I appreciate how, um, how much faith it takes for you to tell someone, you know, come to Alabaster, change your life. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that that is an expression of loyalty and, and, and gratitude and, and, and everything else, but that's not the way that we want to advertise. And, and it, it's, it's also, it's more, much more importantly, it does not reflect the nature of God. It does not reflect the way that God interacts with men. We want to be the exact opposite. We want to be people that, that by our actions demonstrate who we are and from that place make people curious as to why we are that way. And you can do this. You can do it. If you will read through Deuteronomy and you'll see all the great promises that God made, everything you touch will work. Everything will turn to gold. None of your words will fall to the ground. You will have peace all around. Everybody will love you. Nobody will hate you. Like, you know, the rich will come and bring their treasures. And like, I mean, if you read the promises of the Bible about what happens to people as they live in accordance to God's will, you'll see actually that, 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 that this is possible. It's possible to live like Jesus. It's possible to be the person that doesn't ever need to say anything without being backed up by the power and the presence of God. And that's who I hope you'd like to be. So, all right, let's stand and let's pray. If you've been a, a believer for any amount of time, you know that you should not be impressed by what people say. 
there are a lot of people that will make great promises like, oh, I'm praying for you every day. And, and uh, uh, those things are just often not very real, do you know? You shouldn't do that, obviously. But, but there's, there's more than that, actually. There's, there's, we need to be real about these things for God. Like, it's not meaningful for you to say things, I love to pray. Because, you know, if you watch K-pop more than you pray or K-dramas more than you pray, you don't love to pray, you know? And um, you don't need to love to pray. You should, but you don't need to. What we need to do is to not say things that are not true and to learn how to demonstrate who we are. And what I want to pray, actually, is that um, we would, um, that God would take us on a journey where the outreach that we do and um, uh, the influence that we have does not come from our ability to say things rightly, but it comes from the way that we make decisions and we choose to demonstrate the things that we claim to believe. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, which is at work in our lives. And we thank you, God, that even you, O oh Lord, when you make promises, you don't just leave us with your words, but you leave us with something that allows us to actually believe in the promises that you've made to us. And Lord, if you, Lord, if you do this, how much more should we? Lord, if you are willing to give security to your people, that they should trust you, if you are willing, God, to interact with us in such a way that, that even people that would be skeptical of you have no reason to be skeptical of you, how much more, Lord, do we need to prove all the things, all the claims that we would like to make and all the things that we would like to say. Father, we want to learn of you. We want to learn to become like you, God. We want to be people whose actions speak much louder than their words. We want to be people, God, that don't need words to speak because our actions speak so loudly. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill this church with that, not with grand promises, not about our intentions or our hopes, not with any of that, God, but with just the humble, diligent, faithfulness of doing what is right and living rightly before you every single day. Father, we thank you that obedience comes with blessing. We thank you, O oh Lord, that righteousness comes with life. And we, we love that, God. We love that, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would make it real in us, that we would not be people that talk at all, that we would not be known, Lord, as those people that say all those nice things and waste a lot of time debating minutia that don't matter at all. But we pray, O oh Lord, that we would that we would gain in righteousness, that we would gain in obedience, that we would gain in kindness and love and goodness and mercy, that we would gain in actually doing the things that make the gospel real to each other and to the people that are outside this church and of your church. We thank you, Jesus, that you've made this even possible for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would convict us and show us the way how to make this real. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to um, just ask if you're, um, if you feel the conviction of the Lord on your heart, which you may not, and that's okay, but if you feel the conviction of the Lord on your heart, just to repent for being quick to speak and slow to act. Uh, just to repent for presenting yourself differently than you actually are. For making great promises that you strive to live up to. And um, I'm just also going to invite you 
to ask the Lord to mold you and shape you and change you this morning. As I'm, I'm going to go bow down and, and do the same myself. I'm going to invite you to just spend a moment with the Lord and invite him to change you so that you are a man or woman of action. So that you are a man or woman that shows rather than tells. So you are a man or woman that does not just say, here is the kingdom and repent. But you're a man or woman that demonstrates by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, doing the things that give people great confidence that the things that you have to say are real and they're true. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't just want to be religious people. We want to show that our God is real and he is powerful and he's able to save. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take a few minutes. Thank you, Jesus.